We live in a world of violence, war, magic, and the supernatural. I am here to bring you a glimmer of hope for tomorrow. This is the Voice of Hope podcast, and you can call me Beacon, your auditory guide to the safety of Castle Refuge. To all Tomorrow Legion teams in the field, reference your updated ciphers. Your mission profile references are 5, 3, 5, 6, King of Hearts, 6, Jack of Hearts, 14, 1, 9, 7, 22, 1, 6, 4, 18, 15, 12, 4, 3, 6, Queen of Diamonds, 8, Ace of Clubs, 11, 4, 1, 18. I am currently in the town of New Strawn in the Eastern Kansas Territory. Father Jeremiah Wilcox recently contacted the, F- the Council of Hope. New Strawn is a neutral settlement within the area that the coalition claims as its colonial area. The area has seen a significant uptick in tiny settlements related to the CS going up throughout the borders of Kansas, Oklahoma and near CS Lone Star. However, we have also been receiving disturbing reports of something being wrong in the region. Our contacts in the Comanche Preserve have been warning of us a dark wind that has been starting to blow within the region. Legion Intelligence is interested in what's going on so close to our own area of operations. However, with teams involved in operations against the Vampire Kingdom's Soul Harvest on on the East Coast, dimensional exploration and exploration of the South America continents, we are starting to get spread a little thin. This trip is to gather more information about this dark wind. As stated, Father Wilcox contacted me directly relaying a message request from a chaplain, Noah Alameda, from one of the CS Colonial Towns. He said he knew me, that our units worked together during Operation Hardball. Now that was something I had hoped to put out of my mind forever. I do remember a PFC Alameda, he was one of the CS Human Resources NCOs, but I never knew a chaplain by that name. Actually, I don't think the CS has chaplains. Well, I guess we'll find out. Hello, wow, Alameda, it's you. It's been a long time, man. You've changed. It's an old chestnut, but no one remains static. Look at you, I never expected you to shoot an officer, but you did. Wow, okay, well, yeah, uh, sadly, yes, I did, but it kind of had to... uh, Killing kids is kind of a line for me, and that was a line that uh, the LT wanted to cross, so... But, yep, here we are. Yeah, events... Well, you sent them across the sticks, or you tried. Yeah, go figure. CS technology is enough to keep some some people alive, and he must have that resilient freaking evilness that... uh, still makes him a problem so but man look at you so what's this uh, chaplain title you're you're using last i remembered you were a humans re- uh, human resources rep uh same contents different label on the can uh a man needs something bigger than himself to believe in call it god or cause it's comforting to peg hopes and fears on something immaterial and sometimes that something responds with miracles and calling yourself hr doesn't do it justice cheapens everything mm, i can see that well that's definitely not something you hear too often though i mean the uh, state religion of the coalition definitely focuses on vilifying all things non-human and magic even divine based magic look the common cause has a lot of good things going for it people in need of a handhold in order to grapple with the wild world that we now live in it's good for that um, unfortunately, those 
good aspects provide cover for a lot of awful stuff running under the surface. Well, as I've learned from Counselor Comstock, it seems that seems to be a consistency throughout human history, or at least of what we know of it. But, like, I have to admit, the Psy Battalion indoctrination really beats into the notion that the Divine, basically, all the gods, they're just another target to be eliminated. So, uh, coming here to Castle Refuge, it definitely was surreal meeting somebody claiming to be a demigod, and then I meet their followers later and realize that they actually are. <laughs> definitely been a challenging concept for me to wrap my head around. I haven't been so lucky as to meet one of these self-professed deities. I have, we have to take them as red, though, um, or at least they're, they're claimed seriously, uh, given the amount of power that they t- seem to wield. Um, I find the creator's ineffable mystery preferable to your friend Calatin's earthly relationship with the divine. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Calton is a really good human being, I do have to admit. He is very tuned with nature, and he's also very tuned with how we sentience uh, should be interacting with her. But So, I mean, Noah, we, we you contacted me for a reason, and I'd love to sit around and catch up and talk about your revival, but what can you and I, or I and the Tomorrow Legion do for you? Well, um, I've been a long-time listener, and I know y'all are doing good work. We have a lot of families sleeping with empty bellies all across the CS colonies. Famine's not the right word. It's more like everyone has a hunger in their bones that can't be filled. So if y'all have any food pills or MREs, it'd be appreciated. Anything exceptionally calorie-dense, I I think, would be helpful. I've reached out to contacts I had in the CS military, and they have not been particularly interested in helping out. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's definitely something we can help out with. Um, it, But what you're describing sounds like it's going to take more than a few MREs to s- deal with. Do you know how spread this is? Is it just localized to like one town, one region? Uh, it seems to be focused around the colonies in particular, uh, wherever would-be pioneers try to play settler. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do you, with this going on, do you see any increased conflict between the U.S. citizens and the Comanche? I know they're from everything we're getting, they are starting to get a little bit riled up as well with some CS interventions, but there does seem to be something else going on in, in the Kansas region. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the most desperate folks keep tr- are trying to resettle further into Comancheria, uh, assuming that the sickness actually stems from their neighbors and their proximity. Um, you know, People are just looking for, they just seem to be looking for a pattern. Um, I've even seen worm rays herd folks into a Comanche warband's paths just to stir up trouble. Okay, that's interesting. All of the Legion's intel suggests the worm rays are not organized or working collectively towards an objective, but you're saying that it seems like there's some sort of organization within them? Well, the worm race very form is one of organization, right? Um, a bricolage, uh, various annelids pulled into the concert. I bet they're just 99% invisible. When was the last time you thought about what was happening under your feet? Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, recent events keep showing us that we need to readjust our views on what sentience actually is. So, um, I do. we do have some contacts in the CS military here in uh, CS El Dorado that we're talking about looking into some of this. Um, so, to maximize the efforts, uh, where do you think the Tomorrow Legion should focus on this? <sighs> that That's news to me. Based on what I've tried to do, my contact, my my communiques, they've largely abandoned the wannabe settlers. I appreciate if you could send any medical ex- experts 
to help these poor suffering folks see if there's some other reason for the malady. Okay, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Parasites or something. Yeah, definitely. We'll send. We have some folks that we can send out there. Some community outreach teams. We already have some operating in in those regions. Uh, in fact, Callaton's team is actually fairly prolific in the Oklahoma area. So we may I may contact him and have him look into it. So, um, do you have anything else intel wise for what's going on in the area that we could pass on to the Legion? Not particularly. This has been just the my primary area of focus. Um, I guess uh, the other thing is the Legion should probably keep their head on a swivel when it comes to the various traveling wagons and pop-up enclaves. Um, some of them have given me a bad feeling. Gotcha. I mean, we've even seen some intelligence of odd, like, organized vampire activity happening all the way up into into the Great Plains, and then we've also got all sorts of weird stuff, like you've got the Simvan um, Psystalker frickin' Frontier War going up on near... Uh, up in the Wyoming territory as well. So there's a lot of craziness going on in the Great Plains right now. Well, scarcity and location breeds conflict, and the High Plains is a big location, or I should say the Great Plains are a big location with not a lot else to go on, to, to do, but fight each other. True. I seem to remember something Councilor Comstock was talking about in the ancient past called Bleeding Kansas, and it must be must be something that happens here regularly. So. Yeah, um, if I was more learned, I would susp- I would wonder if there was something sick in the ground that seeps up into folks spending time here, <laughs> something in the water or the dirt. Yeah, could could be. So, all right. Well, uh, I appreciate you meeting up with me, and we'll have to keep uh, keep in contact. Sadly, most of our communiques are through Techno Wizard stuff. I suspect since you're staying with the uh, kind of on the CS side, that kind of tech is not something that you're willing to use uh it's less about willingness and more about opportunity cost i travel pretty light so i had to hike a ways to even get to this relay that i'm contacting you on okay well i'll uh provide you with some additional contact uh, vectors um so we can keep in touch and uh if you see anything else that you think the legion needs to be involved in definitely contact me will do okay well Safe travels, my friend. Safe travels to you, too. Chaplet Alameda out. All right. Rifters, hey, welcome back. This is the Voice of Hope, and we're kind of on rapid fire at the moment. Sorry, uh, the COVID and 2020s that uh, delayed us a little bit. So today I've got another interview with you uh, for you guys listening. Uh, today I'd like to welcome uh, Aaron Burkett from the Savage Rifts uh, development team to the show. Aaron, hey, welcome to the Voice of Hope. Thank you for having me. Well, and uh, Aaron's probably a, a newer name for some of you. Um, he's kind of one of the lead guys that was doing some development on South America and Terror on the Dark Frontier. But uh, we'll kind of dive into our interview format. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit about who you are and how'd you get into Rifts. Um, well, uh, <laughs> my, my name is Aaron. I'm from Houston, like, like Sean. And uh, I got into Rifts like most people in my teens, though the circumstances are a bit more complicated. Uh, I came from a really religious background, I, and around the time I found Rifts, I had actually been expelled from a private Christian school I'd been attending forever um, in my freshman year and thrown to the deep end of public high school, right? So I go from a long enmeshed history amongst the same 20 people or whatever in my class to this vast school of folks who have similar history, but I don't know any of them. Um 
for a variety of reasons, denominational, philosophical, et cetera, I was very alienated. Um, and that transition really exacerbated that feeling. Uh, I had kind of retreated into escapist fiction and comic books uh, with an interest in like animation, art, and, uh, and role-playing games. Um, back in the day on the northwest side of Houston, there was a game store called Games Masters Unlimited. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Texas Chainsword Massacre, that's like the <laughs> store that used to organize that. Nope, but that's uh, awesome. it was a forty. It was a 40K event where they was played on the uh, the Battleship Texas. Um, wow. But up there, there was, uh, on Saturday, some guys basically ran like a Palladium open table. And I didn't really know them, but they were in my high school. And I basically sat down, played Systems Failure, Recon, and then Riffs. And that's kind of all she wrote. Um, I picked up the only Riffs book that the store had, uh, Mystic Russia. Yeah, Mystic Russia. Nice. And the, the rest is history. Awesome. So in a very real way, Palladium formed the linchpin for my like social uh, support network in that very chaotic period. Yeah, welcome to public school for all of us. I mean, of course, that's in the past, but uh, yeah, it's oddly, I was the uh, smart jock, so that that really kind of was a weird fit, and I found a bunch of dudes to play riffs with, so. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's get into it then, but uh, so how'd you get into Savage Riffs, and so what projects have you been? We kind of mentioned uh, uh, Terrors and South America, so. Yeah, uh, so I've been like a Pinnacle fan for a long time, since like the 2000s. Um, specifically, Hell on Earth Classic is like one of my favorite games. And uh, I got into Savage Rush the way a lot of folks did with the Kickstarter, um, especially after I was a little skeptical. Uh, and then I interviewed like Ross Watson and Sean Patrick Fannin back in like 2016, 2017, when they were doing the, that first run at uh, ChupacabraCon. And that sold me on it. Uh, particularly Ross, Ross's, uh, the way he would talk, he talked about and pitched the Tomorrow Legion and the way he was thinking about the future with an emphasis on thinking about the future, which is something that Rifts has motioned towards, but like never planted a flag. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so I, I, so that I got into Savage Rifts that way. And then I got into the dev team after striking up a friendship with, uh, Roberson, uh, around American Armageddon. He asked me to send in a writing sample after we talked and found out that we'd consistently been like five years and 10 miles apart. <laughs> um, so we share a lot of background experiences, though, are, are like in terms of like stimuli and location and geography. Um, he liked my writing sample um, and I was really responsive to critique. So here I am. Awesome. Well, congratulations. It's uh, yeah, always good to have a, a pretty solid team, and Sean's been been slaying it. I've you know talking with SPF and Ross, like yeah, it's like coming into Savage Rifts was pretty amazing. It's kind of weird you see some various feedbacks on it, but uh, I also think you know I like talking with Ross last week. I think the Tomorrow Legion was something that was critically needed for uh, for Rifts in general. So. Yeah, something something to at least present a primary lens through which to view the setting. Um, it, regarding that... the projects I've worked on, I worked on Terror, Thousand Islands, um, the Titan Robotics Conversion Document, and an undisclosed the undisclosed current project. Um, I don't think it's been announced, so I can't really say too much. But canny listeners uh, will know what we're already working on. Oh yeah, Deshaun's talked a little bit about it, but not in depth yep now there's a lot going on it sounds like uh you know of course you've always got the next world book because it's such a 
massive world to expand upon, but then uh, I can't imagine bringing Europe up to the uh, or the 109 PA timeline is going to and consolidating it like you did everything else is going to be an easy easy lift. It's it's actually easier than you. Th it would be easier than you think, considering um, World Book Thirty Six and whatever number Triax Two is. Triax Two and Sovietsky do a lot of actually do a lot of that work. Nice. Since they're relatively recent. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, of course, some people it's like, well, when you look at Europe, it's like, oh, it all revolves around Germany. What's going on in France? What's going on in you know the Spain, Portugal? What's going on in East uh, Eastern Europe? So there's a lot of room to breathe there. there. There's a lot of room to breathe, and also it's a, there's actually a fair bit of collation. Like we have a little bit about what's going on there, and you can, can extrapolate like the fact that. Um, the Iberian Peninsula is is being clipped by the uh, Mediterranean Triangle, so you can you can spin that out. Um, we don't necessarily get to invent new DB. We wouldn't necessarily get to invent new DB's whole cloth to can to fill that area, but you know, cool. There's more context there than you think when you look across everything. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's. I mean, talking about riffs and Palladium riffs, that's actually one of the very unique things about it compared to other role-playing games. Is suddenly it's like, hey, I can actually place a game in my hometown. So, and it's you know, yes. worldwide. So, that's pretty cool, and it's awesome that you're getting to work on a lot of these things. Uh, like the initial stuff for Terrors and also for uh, Thousand Islands has been seems to be some pretty solid feedback. So, yeah, yeah, we we. Uh... The community's been great in reading over what we put together and giving us feedback. And some of it's, you know, the, the nature of feedback, right, is that some of it is uh, the same issue, addressing the same issue 50 times. But it's glad, but I'm glad to know that people are, like, catching those problems, whether it's a misspelling or a power that's not italicized or asking for clarification on something. You know, if enough people are twigging to the issue, that means that it is a consistent enough problem that we need to go back and, like, fix whatever it is. Again, spelling, style guide, or clarifying how something works. Yeah. Because, of course, we can't put ourselves in the book and, like, hop, hop out of the page and communicate to you our intent. Yeah, and it's it's getting some of those mechanics right, right in the tra in the translation between savage, you know, the Palladium rifts and the savage rifts. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And kind of we talked offline, and part of you know part of our discussion is we'll transition into some more specific stuff. Part of the reason we introduced uh, Chaplain uh, Alameda today was kind of talking about one of the big things that's actually introduced in both uh, Thousand Islands and in Terrors is kind of the the priest uh, Mars framework and just kind of getting religious, if you will, with uh, your Savage Rifts game. Do you want to talk anything about uh, kind of how you guys brought the priest and religion, the religious miracles into Savage Rifts? Yeah, I can absolutely talk about that. So the the, the priest Mars and the South America faith edges, uh, the Imperial Solar Faith, I think it's just called Sun Faith right now, but if we get to go back and like do a remaster, we'll, we'll expand on what that that, that title um, and the the voodoo faith those were done by by PK and Johnny Racha respectively uh, before I had gotten a chance to, to look at it um, but before we finalized the the priest Mars PK sent it over to me um, and like a lot of what I end up doing on the team is a lot of like archive work for lack of a better term uh, reading through a lot of older deadlands and savage Rift, savage worlds publications third party first party um, to get as much of a 
get it as broad a perspective as possible to make sure we're not reinventing the wheel. And also if there's like a cool or interesting inter- interpretation of a concept that we can, that, that we can repurpose. That's cool. Like, especially like when you go back into Deadlands, like you've got the, uh, basically their version of the, uh, the chaplain, if you will. Um, and, uh, looking back uh, through the archive, right? Like good, the good intentions, uh, plot point actually dealt with that a lot did you look at that at all when you were kind of looking through we specifically looked at it for and we'll be looking at it at that stuff sorry yes and no uh in the short term we didn't but in the long term for how do we implement various faith edges we will be um like if you look in deadlands classic in the old um the old blessed guidebook which the name escapes me it's over on a shelf that way and i i can't read the spine um without my glasses but one of the things that's interesting about that book for example is it the blessed is not a abrahamic it's it's not just abrahamic it provides uh space for uh daoist and buddhist priests as well and at some point when we finish the atlas right we're gonna do in Asia and Japan, and Rift Japan is full of priests, and that's going to be some of the sort of thing that we look at. Divine intervention and miracles and stuff like that, particularly when you look at the relationship that uh, Chintoism presents between humanity and the natural world, and the way that integrates for, for a heightened priest class is going to definitely be something we look at. That's good. Cool. Um, and, you know, initially when uh, when the initial Savage Rifts came out, I really liked the way they did the Mystic as kind of really kind of like a, a version of that priest as well, but a little bit more f- coming from internal when you actually figure in the psionics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the Mystic is actually really interesting because it is... It has such a vibe of being a bodhisattva, a um, someone who attains enlightenment but chooses to stay behind uh, within the physical illusion in order to guide others. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I always feel like that's that's part of the the, the miracle psionics um, fusion that that framework really and and OCC really embodies. Yeah, and it's uh, as we uh, it's kind of cool that you brought up Calton, uh, uh, my friend uh, John, really uh, kind of vibes him very well so oh yeah callison's great and i love how he 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 is embodying that thing you were talking about of mystic as priest and understanding of the world um yeah so great with, character so yeah and i'm sure he'll appreciate that actually and uh, talking about that he uh, you saw on our, our discord he actually shared a, a document he's been working on on like integrating real world religion into riffs which i find really interesting absolutely um Kevin, what's the best way to put this? Kevin is really great. I th- I feel like Kevin is very smart and great at like leaving creative voids or fruitful voids for players and the community at GMs to fill on their own. And that's one of those things that I I think that he gets right. It's part of why it's part of why something like the Tomorrow Legion doesn't exist necessarily in early Palladium because, well, he's not going to define the rebellion because your table will be the rebellion. Yeah, and that, that's that's one of the things in the vibes of everything I've read over the years uh, is like like Laszlo. Part of the reason Laszlo hasn't really been defined is he's like, I'm defining the threats for you to to go against. It's your GM's purview to to define your good guy status. Right, exactly. And I and I love and I really enjoy his stance. I think his stance is very good. Um, 
you know, and, and as designers, as developers, we are translating the, those ideas and that stance over, right? Like we're not, what's, what's like for, for punk rock to borrow punk rock, like sort of for a turn of phrase, right? We're not here to preach you your food. Um, we want to like give you challenges and bring, because that's a big part of what, what's going on with riffs and journal as a setting. Um, it is challenging. It is complicated. There is no unalloyed good. Um, and we need to be conveying that sort of moral depth and complication, even even as we do present the lens of something like the Tomorrow Legion, through, through something like the Tomorrow Legion, because the Tomorrow Legion would absolutely exist, right? They are, to borrow a Fallout, a Fallout term, uh, for the followers of the Apocalypse, they, to borrow real-world terms, they are Doctors Without Borders, um, or, or the Red Cross. And I'm, I'm sure there's other groups that, like various organizations that perform aid in the same way. Yeah, it's just an armed Red Cross, if you will. Um, and the other thing, of course, it's, you know, in some of the shows talking with some of the people that have been doing this for a while, right, is, you know, Rifts is very, uh, because it leans into that moral depth that actually, like, is still relevant to the world we live in. I mean, there's many games that have, have faded because the world has changed. But at the same time, it's also a product of its time. So, like, it, it didn't go into Christianity, Islam, uh, Judaism in in the future because, well, at the time, we were just getting out of the uh, the satanic panic for dealing with role-playing games. So uh, definitely a, of, like, hey, I'm going to leave those real-world things out. And thus why I f- focused a lot on, like, Greek and Egyptian and uh, Norse mythology and how that translated into this future. Yeah, absolutely. And like, the, and I think that also feeds into like actually like a larger Americana, um, the Americana aspect of rifts, where the United States as a as a nation we have a history, we have a shared narrative, um, but also it's because of the intense individualism that we experience. We are all it's a, it's a kaleidoscope. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, lots of folks are will belong to the same faith tradition, but had take a different understanding. Um, and I think that's one of the other things about rifts and as a post post apocalyptic setting and the Americana theme that runs through it. Um, one of the ways that that finds expression. Yeah, it's it's funny because you, know, you brought out fall you brought up Fallout right, and Fallout is also very similar in that hey, it's it's way after the apocalypse. It's dealing with kind of the the what what would people think of the United States when all they know of it is is mythology itself. So it's very similar, but then throw in all the other hodgepodge that is riffs. Right, right, and like that's one of the things too, right? Like. People describe it as will often describe riffs as Gonzo, but there's actually a very there is an intent there. Early riffs books have a tendency to be um, very scattershot because the demand was so high, and Kevin is is one guy, and like Palladium is really experiencing a groundswell of sales and demands for content, and so they're pulling from all over the place, right? Like Riffs England is a really good example of a book that that. that is emblematic of this time frame. But then you, when you compare it to like Warlords and Mystic Russia and Sovietsky to a lesser extent, um, a later book when there's enough material that the community is largely uh, satisfied and he's now able to maintain a more regular output, he presents a region that is the um, October Revolution or the Russian Civil War, whatever term you want for it, right? The Warlords are white Russians, the Sovietsky are the red Russians, all of the white Russians were not a united, were not a unified front. Um, they were all, some of them were incredibly bad dudes. 
Some were czarists. Some were basically just militant anti-Semites. It's wild. Um, and, and he does, and Warlords conveys that in a lot of ways, even as if for ease of use at the table, he breaks them down in such a way that like they form all seven of them break, actually break down to like three poles with a central floating one in the middle. Right. So, yeah, I'll be honest. The, uh, the warlords of Russia, Sovietsky, that, that was kind of the time where I was out of rifts for, for a long period of time. So that's not definitely one that I am very, uh, deep into, but, oh man, it's, it's some of my favorite stuff. Actually, but, the Russian frontier it no, please is just, mwah. Well, and, that, and that's and that's kind of one of those truths about kind of riffs in general, right? Like, there's some things in, in there's there there are some things that are um, part of the time. Like, you know, why are we why do we have cowboys? Why do we have you know you know knights of the round table? But it's like taking some of those mythologies from our, us and then translating them down the road into the future. I think is is pretty unique. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, um, why do we have cowboys? Cowboys are cool. <laughs> That's the other thing, right? Like, not everything has to be steeped in, the, you know, like our our world, right? Like, sometimes you just, you want to have cool stuff at your gaming table while you're having fun, and cowboys and dragons and cyborgs, well, oh my, like, why not? Right, and the other thing is it get touches on is, um, there's an Arabic saying that I really like, and it kind of encapsulates some of this stuff with riffs. Um, I ride a camel, my son drives a car, his son will fly a jet fighter, and then his son will ride a camel. Yep. Circles back to what is the most resilient thing, right? <laughs> Horses and um, herd animals and stuff aren't going to suddenly disappear. Yeah, uh, and what's funny, you 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 quote that literally. My time in Afghanistan with the Afghans, that was exactly it. Is like you've got a family with a couple camels, a motorcycle, and then I'm working with their son, teaching them, you know, working on flying helicopters. So it's it's reality. Yeah, absolutely. I, things, certain things are just going to be persistent within the human experience and util and uh, the needs. Within the human experience, and also providing the utility to fulfill needs, right? Yeah, and draft animals are one of those. Yeah, and and sadly, it's we live we live in the first world. We we live in a world where everything is organized and structured and sustained. But it's really interesting. Like, and this is getting way off riffs, but it's but it applies of what happens in some sort of where you rip that structure away, but those parts and pieces are still there. Right, right. I mean, it's one of the things of like, we we will, humans are, people, humans are incredibly clever and ingenious entities. We will figure it out. We will find a use for every piece of the animal. We will, nothing is ever actually useless. It just hasn't found its new use. It hasn't found its new purpose. Um Cool. Well, we've digressed a little bit, but it's been a good conversation. Yeah. But let's let's so let's get back to some of the things that you've worked in this community, though. So, like, let's focus on South America. Like, what'd you work on in the South America book, and what would you say that if you could say one thing was your favorite thing out of South America, whether you did it or PJ did it or Roberson did it? Like, what was your favorite thing out of? It? Uh, so I the bulk of my writing is isolated to the plot point campaign. Um. Which is I awesome, by the way. Helped. Hmm? <laughs> Which is awesome, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, you don't read the first draft. The that that second draft that got made publication. Excellent. Um, but you got to write the bad one to get to the good one. Uh, but yeah, we did that. Um, PK and I 
in joint developed the Amazon. Initially, Ross had done a really great job trans- and faithful job translating the Amazon from Rift South America to Savage Worlds. But we looked at it and we were like, okay, but what's the draw to play this? Right? What's something that we can also layer on here? And reading the background text, I was like, oh, well, they have like guardian spirits that are involved in, the- in their like apotheosis. And maybe that's something we can play with. Um, and so the, the Sacred Huntress... Uh, or the Amazon Huntress and the Sacred Hunt uh, was stuff that PK and I bashed out. And I think that might be my favorite thing, partly because I, I like the Amazon a lot. Um, there's certain archetypal things that Kevin puts across every continent. Every continent has at least one superhuman. Everyone has like at least one big strong man. Um, and the Amazon is the superhuman for the uh, for South America, right? North America has this... Or, Underseas has the Sea Titan, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the Amazon is South America's. And, and being able to develop that out and also like get Kevin's approval, right? Like Sean pitched that to Kevin and Kevin said, that sounds great. Let's make sure we definitely hammer down on like the indigenous spiritual tradition that they're reconnecting with, um, which shows also, which also plays into like Manoa developing its place and finding itself in, as a, as a city state in the Thousand Islands and their war with Sabola and what role do the Amazons play, right? The, yeah. the Sacred Huntress, or the, the Amazon Huntress really embodies that. Yeah, and that was, uh, I mean, like South America was one of those books, the two pair of books that was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Um, I, I really like how you tied the Tomorrow Legion and uh, kind of intersecting and possibly conflicting with the Megaversal Legion. That, that was definitely a good uh, uh, part of uh, how you guys wrote out the uh, plot point. Oh yeah, the the, uh, the uh, what was it? Target target recognition. I ended up writing that, and PK did the Megaverse Legion chapter, and they 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 happen to splice together really well. I'm very curious to see to hear if in the future about people's experiences with El Bagre and like the uh, the the ship that you are gifted, um, and like do do did their players keep the ship? Did they customize it? What does it look like? You know, because it's very it's a very distinctive and unsubtle thing here. Have a have a patrol boat that runs on diesel and is plated in chromium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that was like that the all of the different parts of South America is it's really unique on how it all comes together. Um, you know, you've got like you've got Colombia, which really is could have been like more like the coalition but it's not it's kind of that happy medium of hey we we we're very human but we also in, in integrate other races and stuff like that i thought you know one the way it was written originally oh, yeah. was awesome but two you guys have captured that pretty well yeah uh, columbia is a really interesting use case or a uh, case study of like nation what do nations look like in the rifts universe right in a lot of ways it's what does el dorado look like if it doesn't run to the coalition after the uprising yeah yeah the the uh, cs el dorado is that that's a very interesting you know because like the juicer uprising literally was was the linchpin that pushed them over the edge if you will right and like the vampire incursions are columbia's historical parallel or echo um so yeah i think it's really interesting to, to be like what do these look like as we walk down the garden of forking forking paths and go left rather than right in various ways and we see them scattered across the the, the globe 
Yeah. And I, uh, so the work you guys did with the Amazon and Manoa, I, th- I, always, I thought Manoa was always a very interesting, um, another like example of like kind of the Tomorrow Legion, but in South America, right? Of like, hey, like first the idea of like, oh, the seven cities of gold are here. They're just maybe slightly off dimensionally. And then you have a, an actual home wor- part of the uh, true Atlanteans actually on Earth as opposed to out in the megaverse, which was cool. Yeah, absolutely. And like Manoa is also super neat. Um Manoa is actually very super is also super neat because South America as a as a continent, microcosm and earth, has a couple of instances of groups that are tomorrow legion esque, right? There's the Heroes of the Sun, um there's one other that I can't remember. But anyway, uh, the, this idea of like having various altruistic groups but also that have complicated histories in some ways um and and manoa and talking about parallels right manoa and the empire of the sun are like that right manoa the empire of the sun is the fingerprint of an interdimensional empire on riff's earth right and same there's uh, a lot of unexplained stuff like one of the guys in my group absolutely loves uh new babylon and the gizmo tears and that like so when he saw that like he was he was childlike giddy in reading through all that stuff and that was uh, oh really... yeah johnny did a great job with them and and also they the gizmeteer is very much in translation and catching the capturing the vibe and the spirit of what kevin's kevin and korea uh put down um the arcane background weird science is perfectly suited for it yeah and it's it you know it's it's funny again how things echo right because you've got the you've got the the techno wizard and then the gizmo tier which kind of are similar but yet different and i thought you guys did a pretty good job of catching that yeah, absolutely and then like and then the psi operator is like the other part of it right like these exist on a spectrum of how does humanity interact with tools and magic and psych- psionics as like the new science or the invisible science that undergirds everything Right, and it, you know, and it's funny because like we were just talking about the you got the priest, and you have the mystic, and then you also have like the uh, the mystic knight, if you will, and then you've kind of got the very similar spectrum with the gizmoteer, the psi operator, and the tech noted. So they all kind of oh yeah, I w- yeah, absolutely. I, I was gonna say I would also throw the shaman on that 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 human divine intermediary conduit sort of thing. Definitely spectrum, which you guys even uh, kind of expand upon within Terrors of the Dark Frontier. Yeah, absolutely. We um. We felt that the original shaman, when they did the American Armageddon wave, where they didn't know if we were going to get to do more, that shaman that was done by, I think, my friend Sean Bircher, um, it's very much a, a Hail Mary sort of Mars design. It's very universal. It's very broad. You can use it to express a lot of different ideas, but it's not exactly Spirit West. Gotcha. Um, it's very good for any sort of animist, uh, as any sort of animist intermediary priest c- character. Um Though priesthood denotes a specific sort of orthodoxy and rigidity um, work, whereas like shamans, especially within like a North American context, has a more concentric relationship to the world um, and the other world. Gotcha. And and this is, so we took that opportunity with in terror. We, we were like, oh, we're doing a player handbook, okay, because we've got enough stuff. Well, let's redo the shaman. Let's redo the totem warrior. Let's do the spirit warrior and the tribal warrior and. Um, and all those other Marses, let's make sure that we really give Spirit West and New West their due. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and it also kind of speaks to some of the design for how Savage Worlds works versus Palladium, like a perfect example. Um, for my last campaign, we actually did uh, what I refer to as War on the Range. It dealt with that uh, conflict up between the Simvin and the Casper Preserve uh, Rapid City. 
and one of the characters I had, uh, one of the, a female player, she was play, started out wanted to playing a glitter girl. So she was a Native American, uh, basically renegade who piloted a glitter boy. As we went through the story, though, she was kind of very much, as she interacted more with the preserve, she started kind of doing this return to her roots thing. And so we actually made her a, um, it wasn't a totem warrior, it was the mystic warrior. But kind of the, oh, yeah. the vibe we ended up going with, I actually grabbed the uh, Knight of the White Rose and we actually use that as the mystic warrior for her because it kind of really, I felt it kind of captured the feel of what the original OCC was. So Yeah, absolutely. And the, the Knight of the White Rose is a very cool design. Um, at some point, whenever we do a remaster, it's definitely one of the ones that's going to experience very little um, Tweaking. adjustment. I think they really did a great job of getting it in one. Yeah, actually, and it's it's kind of funny because for me, it's like it, it is a really again kind of one of those unique niches. Like, if I if somebody wanted to say play a Cosmo Knight in uh, some on Rift's Earth, I probably would just take the Knight of the White Rose and use that as the uh, as the character. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. If we and like, I think there's a really interesting way to look at that and play with it in terms of like also did you want does somebody want to play a mystic knight you know though the knight of the white rose is right there you're going to change like three or four things they're not going to get access to those iconic edges but the core idea of i want to have my draining blade and my awesome darth vader style armor and i want to maybe be someone fallen fallen fighting for redemption rather than already being redeemed it's there yeah, that's, and that's always a really cool arc for people to go through as players. So, um, But with this, we kind of transitioned into it. So what did you work on uh, for Terrors of the Dark Frontier? And again, if you had one thing you could point out that's like my favorite thing in the box set, what would what would it be? Yeah, absolutely. So so similarly to Thousand Islands, I, I was brought into Terror when the project was um, like two-thirds complete, right? Ross had already done his chapter and was ready to push on like had finished his work and was ready to push on uh john was nearly done with his so i was brought in to primarily work on uh the high plains uh new dodge city and all the savage tales that, that are over there and that's one of the reasons why high plains ends up having the most savage tales out of any single region is they were just like write what you want to write the contract is structured that like get out whatever you're happy with that's what you got and i was just like well i could do a whole pe- plot point campaign new dodge city about bandito being at this crossroads and do they become the northern gun of the southwest um and what does that look like and like new dodge city in a lot of ways acts as a like the, the conflicts within that area um very much act as a microcosm of this larger thing facing bandito and like, does it keep to stay with the black market? Does it go its own way? Stuff like that. Um, so I guess I'll say the High Plains section and writing about New Dodge is probably my favorite part. Uh, though I'm actually a big fan of the um, and I, I wrote the the adventure in the Terror campaign, uh, Titanfall, which is the one where you have to like scramble to rescue Aaron Tarn uh, from a Coalition <laughs> Vendetta squad. Nice. Yeah. When I was going, when I was going through it, uh, when I got my release, I'm like, wow, they, they've got Aaron Tarn in here and she statted, whoa, that that's big. Oh yeah. And, and I, John wrote up, um, Winslow Thorpe and I wrote up Aaron Tarn. I, I think actually, I actually think that my, the thing I enjoyed the most writing is actually the, the blurb on Aaron Tarn in particular. Like, how do you encapsulate this character who is, who has a pretty cursory, um, 
who's got received a fairly cursory treatment in Savage Rifts, but is integral to the world at large of Rifts in particular. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're uh, much of a Star Wars fan, but in various uh, iterations where they stat up Darth Vader and they stat up Luke Skywalker, it's like, all right, game on, so these are people we can kill, sweet. (laughs) Right, that's that's a a classic Shane Hensley chestnut, right, is uh, if you stat it, they can kill it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So he, He resisted the urge to stat the Four Horsemen, or the Reckoners, for ever until he finally they finally started doing it in lost colony yeah like even stone for the longest time they did not stat him up because he's kind of one of their their darth vader if you will oh yeah he's absolutely their darth vader and like i remember in the heart of darkness campaigns stone doesn't have a stat line but you do know what his shooting skill is (laughs) well because he can kill other people right 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 he can reach out and touch you but you can't touch him right and it, it, it creates a for for the gym it creates a really interesting tension <laughs> to yeah. what you've been given from by the, the the designer versus what you have to bring to the table yeah and that's always one of those challenges as a dm right when you've got that kind of npc that you want to be kind of untouchable but at the same time you don't want to feel your make your characters feel like you're, they're railroading them so it's like those are those are very difficult encounters to kind of navigate as a gm yeah, absolutely. Well, in SGM, you're always, especially when you're running, uh, using published material, you're often riding two horses. And that's going to be, that's our, that's a big focus for me as an adventure writer, because that, that's kind of was my focus for a long time is, is I write adventures, I write modules is what I do. Um, I care about what happens at the table because the table is where the magic happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are ways in which we can smooth down those rough pot parts? And also, what are areas of friction that are actually interesting for us to give to you to figure out on your, like, to adapt and instead of on your own? And since we're kind of talking about this, that's actually been one of the really interesting things about the Rifts products and its backward compatibility, if you will, with Palladium, because many of the plot points, like, like for example, with, um, with Blood and Banes doing the, uh, uh, the doing the Deathwalker or the the counter vampire thing, but spike. then and, uh, yeah, the death spike, and then the um, for arcane mysticism actually going after Nixla. That that campaign in of itself is like, wow, this has been like a, a growing plot uh, plot within Palladium for a long time. So actually having some a way to go through and say, hey, even Palladium players can go back and take on Soul Harvest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I really like the Arcana Mysticism one. The Blood and Blades one is really interesting because in some levels, on some levels, um, it's a little bit incomplete, but you can see the arc if you run it and see where maybe they ran out of runway and they just had to take off and like print the book. And, you know, you because it ends with like a revelation and some really interesting intel, but it doesn't like, it, it leaves you with that, with that, Revel with that, uh, it kind of leaves you in a certain as the GM in a lurch in a certain way. But like you've ran all these adventures, you can see that the the next through line is with this intel. You is you can do easily do another scenario for a climax and be like, with this intel you've gathered, you can tell that the Death Spike commanders are actually secretly gathering forces to take on Reed, and they're going to bait him into a box canyon and kill him and the Rangers as many as he can find and uh the time is going to happen at the next xyz and like yeah you know it it very much writes itself yeah exactly 
It, you know, and it's funny with the many of the uh, vampire storylines they got going on, because you've got that vampire storyline, but then you also have uh, the Tombstone mm-hmm. storyline dealing with um, uh, there in Arizona and stuff that's kind of interesting that you could probably try into that as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Ars No Incursion is, is, is super cool. Um, and, like, vampires as a persistent... Myth, mythos aspect element in riffs is interesting like there's an, there's on some level it's like oh no we're do we, we're going to talk about the vampires again uh but like the the bulk of the vampires have been talked about so now we get to be like well how do they emerge in kansas right uh, root of all evil is, is kind of tackling that like vampires are a constant thing in various random encounters or traveling groups or hook line sinkers they're all over the place even if they are concentrated in mexico and in the american southwest um and like we're going to be doing it again because the vampires being interdimensional they get to be everywhere yeah very similar to the spookworth actually yeah, it's one of those big uh, integral, you know, megaversal threats that you can deal with. Um, one of the uh, the night train scenario from Deadlands, actually, uh, in my one of the earlier Voice of Hopes, that's actually basically theory-wise is, hey, what if you were to take the night train scenario, have a bunch of vampires, but on one of the uh, Techno Wizard Iron Horses running around the the uh, New West? So that was kind of the idea behind that. Oh, I love the Iron Horses. And I, I like, it's one of the things I actually think is really interesting about the way Savage Rift handles the map is that we don't have the ley lines nailed down. And so it actually allows the world to feel a little more magical in a, in a certain sense. You could argue that it's a little hand wavy and that there's a ley line wherever the GM wants it to be. But like one of the unstated aspects of, of Rift's Rift's Earth it, to me has always been that the ley lines that are marked are the ones that are crackling blue at night every time, every night. Yep. And there's actually a lot more uh, rivulets and tributaries of magical energy running around that you just aren't necessarily visible to you because, well, you're not a ley line walker. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and that's the, the interesting, I would say, subtext that uh, Kevin put into a lot of the Rifts stuff was basically the future is techno-wizard, right? Like, it's not just tech, it's not just magic, it's both. Right, right. It's, um, if, if you ever, like... It... I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to take a palladium stance say, and uh, we don't, I do not advocate that people uh, start digging into the occult, but if you ever look up the various summoning seals of the uh, lesser key of Solomon uh, for various, we're going to, they're labeled as demons, but they are at the time of publication. It's uh they're actually political caricatures of people who are dead and no one remembers, but you know, um, and, and inside jokes and stuff like that, we, that we don't have the context for anymore. Um, but if you look at those seals, it's very easy to see circuit boards and various electronic diagrams being very similar. Yeah. They're circular instead of rectangular, but that's like Mm. just a matter of the geometry. We're still talking about lines, forming shapes with um, nodes, uh, various activities and stuff like that. Cool. Um, We could go on how uh, riffs ties into a lot of really interesting stuff. And the the fact it, it would be really interesting to like, peek into Kevin's brain as all this stuff kind of like where where the spark happened that it all kind of like coalesced into riffs it would have been that'd be an interesting moment to kind of like go back in time and see yeah it, it's really interesting having come into riffs when I came into it when like it's you know when I get into riffs right uh the Tolkien the war on Tolkien campaign is coming out um aftermath hasn't been published yet we still don't know who wins 
and as uh, having gotten older and doing a retrospective and looking back on like, well, what are the things that influenced Kevin, right? Because I'm not Sean. I don't live in Detroit. I can't visit him. But I can take note that like Kevin is a big comic book guy. He is very there's a lot of Star Wars in there. And he grew up in the epoch when he grew up in um, nuclear panic is in the water. And so the there's a line of DC comics called The Great Disaster. And if you ever go back and read through those, you can see, I'm not saying Kevin's work is derivative, but you can see these echoes of things that influenced him, right? The oh, Great yeah. Disaster comics um, feature nuclear war, lots of humanity being wiped out, uh, but also the return of Atlantis. Right, exactly. And, you know, some of the things from that time is you've got the uh, Age of Apocalypse uh, X-Men kind of came out right or like shortly after when Rifts came out. You had uh, um, the death of Superman, you know, so a lot of that stuff was kind of like at the, at the same beat. So like a lot of people had very similar parallel ideas kind of at the same time. Oh, yeah. If you and if you take like if you walk back five, six years from Age of Apocalypse, like the the fall of the mutants or and uh, inferno are very very in line with um how kevin presents magic in a lot of ways as a dangerous thing trucked by uh interdimensional brokers who do not necessarily have your best interests at heart and will demand a, a price too high but because the world is so desperate and hard scrabble there are people who look at that that, that those Faustian contracts and say yes i'm going to sign on the dotted line yeah, and 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 it's kind of in line with DC and Marvel how you have both the uh, at home the intergalactic stuff which you're everybody's experiencing in the MCU now as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So talking about um, other kind of big uh, I or before we transition into that, we'll talk to that. Sorry. Um, for what you saw with the development of both terrors and South America, you know, a lot of times during development, there's the, you know, you have a page count, you have an idea. Was there any really awesome ideas that popped up, um, but ended up on the, uh, like the cutting room floor that you uh, are looking forward to uh, seeing later or, uh, yeah. That... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that's good. Um, uh, the cutting room floor is actually one of my favorite sections of Palladium's website. Um, I don't know if it's still there or if it's going to be there whenever they do, if they ever do a, an overhaul. Um, but yeah, there is definitely some stuff. Uh, Johnny was really forward thinking when he started writing up the crazy conversion edges. So he wrote up like the Ecto Traveler and the Cynetic crazy, and we had to pull that because that's not in South America 1 and 2. Gotcha. But those are going to be coming in the future. Um, again, savvy listeners heard Sean's speculation on what the next project would be. I'm not going to confirm or deny that that's what we're working on, but we are working on the next world book. And uh, that will be coming down the pipe. Um, other cutting room floor stuff. Uh, when I wrote the, the in my first draft of the, the Ghost Roads Adventure, which I want to do a remaster and like do a touch-up on, um, there's a scene where the players, where the Tomorrow Legionnaires uh, observe a Simvin funerary ritual. Um, and I'd like to find a place to, to to put that in i don't know when or where that'll happen but um cause, like risk presents the simvin as as cannibals and the only true people and and as, as cannibals it can and cannibalism as like a, a central pillar of their culture but lots of human societies have performed cannibalism and like well what does that mean right there's there's hunting people in the greatest game but there's also like funerary practices and, and other religious rites and stuff like that where yeah, that stuff happens, and and so getting to be basically present like some more depth and giving the Simvin more cultural practices around this 
very central thing to their identity. Um, it's something I would like to do in the future. That's cool. Yeah, the Sinvin are a very interesting um, uh, DB race that they introduce, and they're—I mean—they're prolific throughout the Rifts world, right? Like, and you've got like the bad guy D, uh, Sinvin, but then you've also got good guy Sinvin. So it's kind of an interesting. Uh, they're very human, just like the rest of us. Oh, absolutely! Like Rifts, Rifts, uh, England uh, has—I'm uh, going to mess up his name. I think it's like Sir Craig, but he's a heroic Sinvin who like guards a Millennium Tree and the community they're in, right? And Kevin makes a point of writing about the the Simvin of of Central Asia slash Eastern Europe, and how um, oh they are like other like the Simvin of North America, in that they are they view themselves as the only true people, and and so on and so forth. They are also not necessarily as aggressive. There's an interesting unstated uh, interplay about how the Simvin relate to other people, based partly on the various creatures and fauna that they bond to. Right in Europe, the they don't have Austria, they don't, the Austria shore is not as prolific for them. Instead, they are bound, they uh, connect to a thing called the Eurotorpid, which is a, like a precognitive triceratops elephant. Um, it knows when there's a threat around, and so it lets the Simbin, in a lot of ways, that acts as a balancing on the uh, the Simbin's more natural aggression that we see in, say, North America, where the Ostrosaur is always hungry and eats too much. Right? That's a line from Sourcebook One. Is that like? Ostrosaurs are always hungry and they eat too much. Like that's a Kevin phrase. Nice. Well, that's so, kinda... like like that that whole interplay is really interesting. Well, that's kind of interesting, yeah, because you were talking about Dodge City and for the uh, what I submitted on Rap, uh, Rapid City to the Rifter and what I based my campaign on. I actually uh, uh, so you got Rapid City US where you got Wilkes. I also introduced um, uh, it as a kind of um, bandito arms stronghold but i introduced a clan of simvin that had basically been an amalgam of several clans that got kind of partially wiped out called the steel riders and they were kind of like the um basically they are like the hard labor or the uh the physical labor class in that city and instead of Mm -hmm. uh instead of linking with like um ostrosaurs and big dinosaurs they actually link with like badgers and squirrels and like more pet related kind of uh creatures in the city oh yeah that's super interesting like especially when you think about them being shifting from a nomadic lifestyle to something that's a little more settled and how does that express itself yeah Uh, yeah Simvin are fascinating, but it's it's riffs. Everything is fascinating. Yeah. Um, there is nothing that is like super shallow. Everything, anything that seems shallow on the surface, is probably just because either Kevin hasn't written the book about it yet, or you haven't read the book that like provides depth on that thing. Um, like I think like the Zytikix, If you don't read Zytikix Invasion, it's just like yeah, there are these big bugmen in Canada. Uh, there they are. Um, but Zytikix Invasion does a lot to be like. But they're also doing terraforming. But they're also this is how they behave. This is what their society is like. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of depth in a lot of it, and uh, of course, you know, talking about fun at the the table. The the bad guys of the campaign were actually basically, if you were to take the Simvin and uh, combine them with the Dino Riders uh, concept from the '90s, that's basically riding dinosaurs with weapons, pla- uh, techno wizard weapons platforms. It was it was fun. Oh, that's rad. Uh, I was going to say, uh, your write-up on Rapid City is actually one of the reasons why uh, the in Rift's archetype, the next Rift's archetype box set, uh, Brother Dallin Pyrie, the the preacher, yeah. is from Rapid City. Like as Because <laughs> I was just like, where's he from? Oh, 
there we go. I wrote all the terror archetypes, or not all of them, I wrote most of them. And that was like an important thing was to be like, they are all from everywhere converging on Kansas. And I, your Rapid City article was like, well, obviously, here's this thing. It's from Dakotas. It's interesting. Um, we're going to do a nod to it. Oh, nice. I appreciate it. That's awesome. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed that. I've spent a lot of time in Rapid City through my uh, various tours, but uh, the writing up Rapid City, we I don't know, have you ever been to Hershey, Pennsylvania? I have not. So uh, Pennsylvania is actually like a, a place that I want to spend more time in. Like I want to go camping up there, but I just haven't gotten a chance to. Nice. So it's it's really interesting. So Hershey is where the Hershey uh, chocolate factory is mm-hmm. and everything. And there's really interesting book that Hershey, the person who owned uh, that started the company, uh, very very interesting take on the like the eight, early 1800s um, like corporate community, and he very much prided the taking care of his people um, to the point of like actually like help set up Reese's initially <laughs> um, but like the, they there's some tours of the town and kind of like what he did in building the community to take care of the people so they could you know work better in the company so it was kind of interesting yeah uh, F- Fordism is an interesting uh, socioeconomic philosophy that maybe we'll see make a comeback in the future. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, as, as corporates. And and that actually was kind of the template that I decided is like, well, if Wilkes is actually their home is in Rapid City, maybe they're more like this, you know, taking care of their people and building the community to actually thus improve the company itself. Right. I mean, there's two different versions. Well, there's, there's like three different common versions of like the corporate town, the company town in... Um, Within American history, right? There's there's Hershey, Pennsylvania. There's the... What is the super prestigious sleeper cars? Oh, Pullman. Pullman, yeah. The, there's the Pullman town. And then there's like the coal camps, um, which are very much isolated to the uh, the American labor wars or whatever epoch, you t- whatever you want to refer to that time period, uh, post-World War One, pre-World War II. Um, right. where, and those are, those are... The U.S. Army kind of forms those. But it yeah. is still company towns. Yeah, which you also have the uh, now you've got you know holler for Appalachia and all that kind of stuff to to play in that. Right. Cool. Right. Now that, yeah, holler is very much referencing that. All right, and so you'd mentioned something earlier, and I kind of added it in. So uh, one of the interesting things you we were seeing a lot of pictures from Roberson and Palladium Books and Kevin of uh, Titan Robotics that. Uh, we should be getting the books here soon, but you also have been kind of drawn in for uh, the Savage Rifts aspect because it was really interesting. It's a Palladium product, but between Shane and Sean, they basically uh, went ahead and Kevin and went ahead and released uh, Savage World stats for the stuff from the Palladium uh, Titan Robotics, and uh, you had some work done on that as well? Yeah, I provided uh, the... Uh, I worked a lot on the, the Cyberworks conversion, um, I specifically handled um, pretty much every NPC in Sportsbook 1 and 2, Shimmerian uh, Nation, and there's another one. <laughs> but, like, Lord Fromline, James T, Archie 3OZ, Archie 3, um, oh, the, the the NPCs from, and the, all, the, all the guns from Titan Robotics. So, like, updated Arjun Goodson, updated uh, Hagen. So I've got Hagen in two different versions. Um... Wow. Every Shimmerian in Shimmerian Nation, um, for example, here. I will share this with you just so you can get an idea of like the sort of like work we did. Um, let me see if I can grab this text. Sorry, uh, I know this is captivating radio. 
Yep. Um, it's part of living in a radio okay. audio so- uh, visual society. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me see. I'm going to drop it into the the show chat for the the um, sure. for the voice channel. Yeah, drop it in the interviews one of you. Um, oh yeah, okay, that's better. See, this is a big block of text. Awesome. So we'll see if it lets me sh- send it. As you're doing that, so did you work on the mechanoids? Um, I did not. I I did a little bit. I worked on the the mechanoid robots. Um, PK really did some masterful design work on statting up the um, doing basically laying out how to build all the various mechanoid models as an intelligent construct. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, right. that's kind of how I went about it for I. I part of my current campaign is dealing with the mechanoids so yeah we uh well you're you're at the curve on that but we we laid out like the various uh assault probes and master computer brains um we, where is this guy apparently the war the the shimerian war goddess uh text is too big so <laughs> well the shimerian war goddess is pretty amazing in and of itself so yeah, she's got a lot of text. I'm just I want to show off like one of the cooler write-ups, but it looks like we're gonna have to settle for either breaking it into parts or uh, just throw the just throw um, the document on. You can do that. I won't tell Sean. I won't tell. Kevin. No, I, I <laughs> don't listen to this. Um, okay, so this is less ridiculous in terms of overage, so we can cut. This should. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so I'll put this in two. Here's Lord Fromline. Wow. An incredibly unique character. Like it, it's very peak Kevin. Uh, for folks who don't know, um, Lord Fromline is a techno wizard cyborg um, that shows up in Sourcebook One, who was screwed by James T. Um, and he shows up in a in a, an adventure. And Archie. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? Like Archie is one of those really cool kind of villain, not villain, like the kind of like antiheroes that you got running around through uh, rifts. I, I would argue that, that that Archie is a villain, right? Um, Hagen is the antihero between ah. the two of them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess Archie is pretty fixed in his goals, and whereas like Hagen is growing as a person, right? We can chart the shift in his alignment. Yeah, from true. publication to publication. Yeah, valid. Like, uh, like honestly, uh, the events of the uh, mechanoid invasion and stuff probably actually did did quite a bit in shifting him a little bit more to the good side. Absolutely. Whereas like in a lot of ways, Archie is Archie without a Hagen, right. Is probably only going to be content to is only going to be happy after he's replaced an overwhelming majority of humans with like, with a synthetic entities that are fully under his control. Yeah. Well, he is, he's a God after all. Right. 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 And Hagen gets to be that shoulder angel. Yeah, hey, I don't think you want to do that to the. That's pretty awesome. That's actually a pretty slick. Uh, here I am, <laughs> great radio. So yeah, some of the things like you basically have a uh, a Mars character with cybernetics, but also arcane backgrounds. Um, so has certain powers. 
Um, most of them are focused on cell, on the uh, individual character, so they can do things like go invisible. Uh, you know, so a cyborg that can go invisible, for example. Yeah, he's a cyborg can go invisible. He has uh, a bunch of like uh, dendrite arms, uh, Doctor Octopus style with vibro swords. And like the thing that's really interesting about Lord Fromline is that if a little piece of him survives, he's gonna grow back out of it. Um, <laughs> so he's got that in his. Um, in his write-up. That's cool. So you have to, you know, almost almost like a cybernetic vampire in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, no problem. So uh, in general... When you, though, when you take him down, you have to, like, destroy every last piece. Yeah, it's actually how, how I met my group. Uh, we were actually playing through uh, the mechanoid invasion in, for Savage Rift, so that was, that was pretty fun, kind of jumping back to that point of Rift's history, so... Oh, awesome! Yep. So the defense of liberty and all that kind of stuff—it was a pretty, pretty uh, good, fun, memorable, memorable adventure. Um, I did... yeah, those are those are interesting adventures. I really like uh, the character of Tree Shadow also, and like his posse. Oh, nice. Which I think show up a little later, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I added them up because that was the that was the job. That's cool. So even dealing with the like apocalypse cult with the. Uh... Um, all the various non-humanoid creatures that are uh, trying to support the mechanoids. Yeah, that's cool. So what? Uh, di- so with you playing riffs and all that kind of stuff, what like you know the mechanoids? Like I'll be honest, as like is kind of high up on a pedestal for me. But like for somebody who came into it later, kind of what's your view on them? Uh, so the mechanoids are really interesting. So in that. I actually don't associate them with rifts because of this sort of like piecemeal nature. One of my players, uh, also named Sean, but not Sean Robertson or Bircher, um, his older brother Charlie was a pretty avid Palladium collector, but he had only ever been able to get like the second Mechanoids Invasion. So the Mechanoids Invasion trilogy had as a collection didn't exist. There was Sourcebook 2, and on the secondary markets, you would find random instances of like earlier printings. And so I know them. Or I, I knew them for the longest time only from that second printing where, yeah, yeah, that stuff, where your characters are uh, stainless steel, to, to, bar, to reference like 70s sci-fi, right? Your characters are stainless steel rats living in the walls of their giant, like, of the, the, their giant arc ship and just trying to figure out a way to survive. And, and so that's my understanding. To me, that, that, that's mechanoids as, as hell, right? They, they operate on a scale beyond what we think of as humans uh, because they are incomprehensible in that way. Yeah. Um, almost a sci-fi or a sci-fi version of Lovecraftian horror kind of stuff. Right. No, exactly. They're, they're in like to, to reference some like more modern stuff. Right. Um, there's a, there's a manga called blame, which is like set in an enormous mega structure. That's like extruded off the planet. And like, that's the sort of scale that they operate on. People are, bed bugs <laughs> human being individual human beings are bed bugs and mayflies to them um just parasites that just happen to cling on that they are trying very hard to exterminate uh and and it's a really great extrapolation of that um killer robot techno horror thing right like you can look at other media and be like well the you know, and if you're trying to explain them to someone you can say well they're they're terminator they're the cylons um they're uh fred saberhagen's berserkers but none of those things quite capture some of the larger stuff that the mechanoids are really doing right yeah and it, it's one of the, like yeah they're they're kind of like 
the interesting amalgam again it's at the time right because you had the daleks from doctor who you've got the borg from star trek you've got the cylons you've got you've got the terminators you know so it's it's this uh iterative kind of uh, view of things and whereas what's cool about the mechanoids i mean now you've got cyborgs that are psionic you know as well from a from a personal like i'm dealing with these threats perspective yeah, yeah. I, I think Fred Saberhagen's Berserkers is actually like the. If, what if Fred Saberhagen's Berserkers met the Daleks and then operated on a scale of deep time and uh, planetary engineering in a way that like is hard to think about because it's every every they everything they do is hyper object is is so scaled up it's basically hyper objects right like. They're just so large, we can't really comprehend them without reducing them to like metonyms. Um, Fred Sarah Higgins' Berserkers are like, what if the Cylons or um, the Daleks, what if the Daleks uh, made temporary alliances with non bipedals and maintained like a threat recognition library and stuff like that? Hmm. So, and that's the, the Berserkers are great. Yeah, that's a reference I don't know, so I'll have to take a look at the Berserkers, okay? Nice. Yeah, and it's uh, again it's it's very interesting. Um it's awesome as a Savage Rifts player that is like, "Hey, Palladium is now going to at least they offered that as an option for us as well." So that was really one of the ones I was fighting for as we were going through the uh the Titan Robotics, but that Titan Robotics book in and of itself is pretty awesome actually bringing um the Archie storyline in Titan Robotics up to 109, and it looks like it's going to have some uh, pretty awesome crossover with uh, things like, you know, when we bring it into Savage Rifts, like the Tomorrow Legion and such. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it also, it helps... It, it actually helps add even more depth to the Manistique Imperium, right? Which is a, a, a thing that has existed in Rifts forever, but, like, outside of the Northern Gun books... And the Northern Gun books are still more focused on Northern Gun than the, than the Imperium itself. Titan Robotics helps flush out that space. Yeah, actually, and it's it's really like how uh, Kevin, how they've done a lot of the Palladium books. I really like some of that stuff. Like, for example, Juicer Uprising, right? Awesome campaign book. As I said before, it's my one of my favorite books of theirs. But then you get actual information on Kingsdale, on El Dorado, on a little bit on Murktown, you know, so you get a little more of the world fleshed out as opposed to just a list of toys as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my understanding is that Kevin did some of his earliest uh, RPG illustration and possibly writing working with Judges Guild. And so when you look at, if you take that into account that like the city state of the Invincible Overlord is a thing that he possibly worked on or looked at or was in the water, it makes a lot of sense as to like, why does he spend, why does he write about El Paso and Kingsdale in this way? And why is it really important to him to have a street map? Even if every numbered location isn't in the book, you know where everything is in relation to each other. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, so as we're getting, we're kind of getting towards the end here, and it is Sunday, so um, is there, you know, you've kind of been hinting about stuff in the pipe for the development team. Is there anything you can actually speak to at this moment? Uh, well, as uh, Jody has not announced it on the newsletter, um, and Sean hasn't outright said it, uh, I can say we're working on the next world book, if you look at the direction of how we are going around the globe, you know what that's going to be. Um, I can talk about my love for Russia and uh, Rifts Russia, I should say specifically, my love for Rifts Russia. Um, 
and like get really effusive about it and that should probably give you an idea so i can say it without saying you know okay that's fair sounds good um as a developer though is there anything you working on outside of savage rifts uh for yourself yeah um sometime this year i think uh there's a game, a small game called uh, Fear City, or the Fear City Damned that I worked on with my buddy Seth. Um, it's a love letter to like 1970s hard-boiled uh, crime fiction, uh, like The Dancing Bear, um, King of the Hustlers, uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, if anyone's ever watched Justified, the TV show, um, Elmore Leonard is like one of who wrote the the books that or the, the short stories and stuff that, uh, that Justify is based on, Elmore Leonard is like the last living guy in that wave of fiction writers. Um, cool. It, it's set in like a fictional New York City. You play uh, working class Joes who don't have two pennies to rub together, um, trying to make ends meet and get out alive before everything comes down on your head. Well, that's kind of cool. And uh, so that'll be hitting sometime in, uh, sometime this year? Yeah, uh, the the text is done. Illustrations are finished. It's in layout. We're trying to figure out what my buddy Seth has kind of taken the lead of being project manager for it. Um, he's still trying to figure out how to if it's going to crowdfunding or if he's just going to release it. Um, of course, Kickstarter being the hype machine feedback loop that it is, that's the optimal path. But if you don't have any pre-existing Kickstarter projects, it makes it a, a little bit of, uh, of a tougher road to hoe. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how Kickstarter and crowdfunding has become most the standard within the community. So, um, the the big thing is, I think the Kickstarter benefited from like a one-two punch of uh, an upwelling of tech optimism, um, <laughs> and also just being a, a place to, to to collate and pull everything together right here. Sorry, <laughs> so you don't have to be subscribed to. 20 different newsletters, you can just go check Kickstarter and browse what's going on. <laughs> yeah, valid. Cool. Well, no, it there... kind of gets to be the Amazon of pre-order systems. Yeah. Well, it's funny how it's kind of become pre-order when it's really like, hey, really, this is a uh, speculative trading is kind of really what Kickstarter is. But Right, right. It, it's, it's definitely um, trying to have its cake and eat it too. Gotcha. Well, so is there anything else you'd like to add before we call it a, call it a Sunday? Uh... No, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I really enjoy my time on working with Savage Rifts, and I'm as far as I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, but you know, awesome. Not going to count my chickens before they hatch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that makes sense. Well, uh, is appreciate talking to you, Aaron, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. So uh, hopefully, you uh, will see a lot more from you from what it sounds like. So absolutely. Um, I will be more than happy to come on later when we actually have stuff announced and can start talking about the guts of future projects. Awesome. I'm always willing to have uh, members of the development team on the show. Okay. Well, with that, uh, we'll ha say goodbye to Aaron. You guys all have a good day. If you have any refugee questions, wish to leave a mission report, or submit a Legionnaire for Legionnaire's Last Call, please email me at voiceofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Please join our community at Facebook, Savage Rifts, MeWe Savage Rifts, and check out savagerifts.com. The Voice of Hope is a Savage Rifts fan podcast. The music in the intro and prologue are Killers and Rhinos Thing by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Savage Worlds and Deadlands are copyrighted 2016 and trademarked to Pinnacle Entertainment Group, all rights reserved. Rifts and the Megaverse are registered trademarks of William.